welcome to my home. And there's really of your own will and belief some of the happiness you bring. Count Dracula? I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Harcourt, to my house. Come here. What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, it is once again time to get back into the top 80 albums of 1992 countdown. Let's get back to the show, shall we? Coming in at number 30. Is this band right here? I haven't played this band on the 1982 Best Albums Countdown, so apparently they are very consistent for my ears. This album actually came out on my birthday, March 13th, 1992. I turned 13 that day, fittingly. And that was a Friday, too, by the way. Uh, if, if this uh, Wikipedia window bubble is c- correct, then it was a Friday. The reason I know that is because I turned 13 on Friday the 13th. No bullshit. Fun fact there for you. So yes, this album right here, Bad Religion's Generator. And I know some people that aren't even like that big of Bad Religion fans. I've heard say that this is their best album. So there's some good praise right there, especially if you get it from like a neutral party. But yeah, of course, as a fan of this band, I do like this record quite a bit. I never have a whole lot to expound upon as it concerns Bad Religion because they're pretty basic in their approach. They're not controversial in any way. And it's just one of those things that's like, yeah, no, I enjoy their records. They're totally cool. So (laughs) let's be having you. And I'm going to even keep it as basic as this. Here's the title track from Generator. Yeah. 
Kicking off the show here today and coming in at number 30 on the top 80 albums of 1992 countdown. That was Bad Religion with the song and album Generator. Now we move on to number 29 here. And I remember listening to my buddy Mark Striegel there, currently of Sirius XM, Hair Nation, and Ozzy's Boneyard, and Turbo. Guy's killing it right now. Uh, one of the more notable interviews I remember hearing of the past couple of years of Talking Metal was when he had Jason Beeler of Saigon Kick on his show. And Jason seems like the most regular-ass dude, like, keeps it real, very candid, and I always appreciate his interviews. And he even just played Eric Miller's house recently. How cool is that? But yes, going to talk about Saigon Kick. And the reason I brought up the, that interview is because he was saying something to the effect of, sorry, it's our fault, but also we kind of got to have one of the last power ballads that was a hit single on radio and stuff like that. And when I thought about it, I was like, I can't really think of much of anything after Love is on the Way. I, I don't really know. I was thinking about like the last gasps of power ballads on radio and MTV, and it was like Bon Jovi, Better Roses, More Than Words, of course. And, you know, the timeline here, we got it like into the fall or so of 1992, Love is on the Way. I really don't remember any after that. So let me know if there are. But I, I think he might be on the nose. If it's not the last one, it's definitely one of the last major ones. Uh, yeah, that song, Love is on the Way, did come off of their sophomore album, The Lizard, which came out on June 2nd of 1992, produced by the aforementioned Jason Beeler. And I, I like all the Saigon Kick records. Uh, the first album, Lizard, Water, Devil in the Details. Love them all. I think they're all great. They all have something completely different to offer. 
So I always hated them getting lumped in with the quote-unquote hair metal because they were, it sounds cliche for people that defend bands of this ilk to say, but they were much more than that, and it's unfortunate that they are, they're underrated in that sense, that they should have been perceived as more than they were because they were very talented and they wrote really cool songs. And don't worry, I'm not playing the obvious hit like I've done with a handful of albums on this countdown because i got to play this one right here. This one I've always dug from the first time I heard the record. So to represent the lizard, a little more properly, I should say, this is Saigon Kick with Hostile Youth. Saigon Kick right there with 
Hostile Youth from the Lizard album. That album definitely went gold at the very least. Maybe even platinum, actually. I, the CD was everywhere. Uh, but yeah, another thing I look forward to in the next few years on these countdowns is pointing out just how awesome all the other Saigon Kick records were and still are. But until then, let's do album number 28 here on this countdown. And I think we have a couple of more albums to go that resemble this remark that I'm about to make. I was not even aware of this album's existence prior to working on these shows. This is one of those cases where I, I was doing the bragging earlier in the countdown about how it's not just going on Wikipedia. It's not just looking up whatever magazine on the internet that is archived now, like their top albums of 92. It's digging in and going into the old magazines and stuff like that. I think I read about this one once again in Metal Edge as far as just like upcoming releases. And I check and see, did it actually come out? Can I actually listen to it? There it is. And this one really surprised me. So this band comes from Germany. And I'm sure I remember hearing this name somewhere in magazines such as Metal Edge, but never gave them a shot. And they never really made it so much out here. You know, I never heard them on Z Rock or anything and never saw them on the ball that, that I know of. If you did, let me know. But yeah, this band's called Skew Siskin. They're from Germany. And I just really dug the record. It really, really kept my interest. I responded to it quite a bit. So I was like, yeah, I know because of the nature of them being from Germany play heavy metal and they've got the female singer you're going to hear a lot of comparisons probably in reviews of theirs to like doro and warlock and stuff like that honestly i hear quite a bit of girl school in here as well but i understand the other comparison for sure it's i would say about 50 50 if you're gonna to have to compare it so it's girl school meets warlock there you have it if you need to narrow it down to something like that but yes yeah, skew siskin S-K-E-W-S-I-S-K-I-N, two words. And this is their debut album right here. It's a self-titled record produced by their guitar player, Jim Vox. And yeah, just really cool to hear a strong voice and Nina C. Alice. Once again, this album really did it for me here in the year 2022, no less. So let's play my current favorite song off of this record as I go try to find a physical copy of it. This is Out of Control. Let it out, my ducks 
All right. What'd you think of that? Did you like that? Man, I sure did. Album number 28 right there, Skew Siskin. So yeah, check it out. I, I was just looking on their online discography. It says they got six studio albums and a comp. So going to have to dig a little deeper and get into them. And then hopefully you'll be hearing them on future countdowns here on Rock Strikes 10. Coming up next here, we got a band that before I started doing this 1992 review and countdown thing, I definitely expected to tell you, here's a band that I finally got to see live this year. And then if I had said that, I'd be lying because I had tickets to see them. I showed up to the show. And then the fucking venue oversold the show by double capacity, so no show. I mean, we got the openers, but we did not get to see Wasp. So that's me getting in a little bit off my chest. I'm not mad at the band. I am definitely mad at the venue, because if you had been inside that venue, you would have seen that that was bullshit going on in there. It was definitely a health and fire and all the safety hazards. If shit had gone down, the only way I could have got out of that place is to jump over the deck and got into the lake. <laughs> so, yeah, more on that later. But yes, let's get back to Wasp. Talk about the greatness of Wasp. And their greatness continued in 1992 with their fifth album, The Crimson Idol. A lot of people, this is definitely like a fan favorite. Like this one and Headless Children. People love those records. And I do too, for the most part. They're not perfect albums, but... Hey, look at that. Comes in here at number 27. That's a hell of a ranking. Don't have a release date on this, but I can tell you that it was self-produced by the leader, lead singer, guitar player, bass player, what have you, of Wasp, Mr. Blackie Lawless. And uh, you want to talk about dark concept albums. <laughs> yeah, it, There's a lot of cliches in the concept here. Of course there is. But, man, what a dark ending this album has, for sure. I'll say if... Uh, if you do not like down endings in movies, don't follow along the story on this record because you'll regret it. Uh, but I did. I just wanted to get the full immersion of it for sure. I haven't done the thing where I get the whole deluxe with like the live album and the B-sides and stuff like that. But at some point, I do intend to do that. Now, from what I understand, there was supposed to have been like a short film or at least maybe an independent film that was made to, for this album, but it never happened. But, you know, at some point, maybe. I mean, somebody could do it at any time, even long after we're all gone. But, hey, until then, let's get back into this record here, Crimson Idol by Wasp. I remember actually hearing Hold On To My Heart on the radio and being like, damn, man, the guy still got it. And that's one of the great ballads. Like, there's a guy that doesn't get talked about for writing good ballads, Blackie, Lawless, and Wasp. Definitely have a handful of really neat and really quality ballads. I'm not going to play that one. I'm going to go with this one right here. Because, I mean, honestly, if you dive too much into the record, you might be getting into the concept part about it. So I'll just stick with the origin story and the opening proper track here. I feel like that's a good way to be when you're pulling a track off of a concept record. Uh, so yes, the first proper song after the intro on this album is this one right here. It's Wasp. It's classic sounding wasp for sure, so turn it up. This is The Invisible Boy.
apparently our quote-unquote hero of the Crimson Idol definitely had the same origin story as Freddy Krueger and a lot of other serial killers had. But yes, that was from the Crimson Idol. That was the Invisible Boy. And of course, that was Wasp. Fingers crossed. Maybe someday it'll happen for me with Wasp. So let's hope. Coming in at number 26 is damn near a perfect album for a 13-year-old kid who's into heavy metal and video games and all that kind of stuff. Beavis and Butthead for sure. This is definitely a favorite of those guys. Guar with uh, what I would say is their best overall album. Their third album, America Must Be Destroyed, came out on March 31st of 92, produced by Glenn Robinson and Lawn Friends Review. I remember this specifically on Friend at Large. It was not kind of funky, kind of grungy. It was... So they've actually matured a little bit musically. Not a ton, but you can hear it. (laughs) And that's about the review I'd give it. I think that Friend at Large segment was from one of those other episodes that I had on tape that I watched so much that it's ingrained in my brain now. There's some fun arrangements on here that aren't just the average, you know, shock rock kind of gore, punky kind of song. They they stretch out there. I, I played the road behind on the odds and ends, flexing their power ballad greatness. And it is a great power ballad. I don't know if a song has aged worse for me <laughs> than Have You Seen Me from the first time I heard it, where I was like, this is amazing to hearing it today and with you know my 40-ish type brain it's like wow oh my god but you know you can't take it too seriously of course i would never do that i mean how could you go into a gore record looking to take anything seriously so i tried not to do that i tried to harken back to my 13 year old self with this and it came out pretty well in the scoring system Kind of funny how it follows Wasp, who, you know, is another band that's on the short list of all-time shock, hard rock, heavy metal acts. Uh, But there you have it. Uh, I'm going to go, actually, with a a super short song, the opening track on the record, just because I just love it. It just goes for the throat right away. It's something I would definitely put on an all-time heavy metal playlist for sure. So I'm going to put it down here for all my friends here at Rock Strikes 10. This is Ham on the Bone.
right, get in, get out. There was Gore with Ham on the Bone from America Must Be Destroyed. You got to go into this record by turning off a handful of brain cells and lightening the load of taking anything seriously. But I still recommend the record. And coming in at number 25, an offbeat artist of a different sort. And very much an act, much like War, that never gets played on the radio. I have never heard this guy on the radio. I barely heard him on satellite. Talking about one of the great writers of all time, Tom Waits, put out his 11th album in 1992 on September 8th, to be exact. This album, much like a lot of his other albums, co-produced by himself and his wife, Kathleen Brennan. I was always very curious, and they're very private for sure, but I've heard Tom talk about Kathleen in some of his interviews. And I appreciate the fact that he's like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to do my Tom Waits voice here, so bear with me. He's like, yeah, she's the one that actually, like, reels me in. Not from a weird point of view, but like, and I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, more so like if I'm getting really schmaltzy and, and too like overtly emotional and, and sappy. It's like, uh, that's that's way too sappy, honey, you know. So, yeah. Thanks, Kathleen. I appreciate that. And not that Tom isn't good at ballads, but like she's like, you know, be, be weirder. Be yourself. <laughs> so there you have it. There's my little mini Tom Waits theater right there. But I'm a fan. You know who else is a fan? It's Keith Richards. This is like, I think, his second or third appearance on a Tom record at this point. He plays on a couple of tracks. He played on Tom's latest album, too. Uh, but yeah, so Keith gets it. Les Claypool also makes a cameo on this record, and they've guested on each other's records on and off through their careers, so it's like like-minded people. You're never going to run into Tom hanging out at Taco Bell, that's for sure. Uh, but yes, this album, Bone Machine, probably one of his more popular albums, quote-unquote, as far as the guy that used to work in a CD store would say, because people asked for this record quite a bit for the same reason they started whipping my ass, asking me for Pixie's Surfer Rosa for years and years. Two words, Fight Club. Yes, Fight Club really helped this record out quite a bit seven years after its release, much like uh, Surfer Rosa. It's close to that release year. But anyway, it's the same kind of thing, you know, getting popular after the fact. But uh, kind of a by-the-book, latter-day Tom Waits record for sure. It really set the tone for all of his future albums after this because he was still doing like late-night kind of like laid-back stuff, like Night on Earth. And then he does Bone Machine here. And then the next album after that, Black Rider, is just way freaky. So it's definitely a bridge gap between those two styles. So I'll stop expounding about that. I'll do what Fight Club did for a lot of people. I'm going to play the song off of that movie because it's a kick-ass song. It's one of those songs that really does give you that swagger when you hear it, I feel. So it, it worked in the movie for that reason, and I think it has always worked on the record for the same exact reason. And yeah, what else to say? Here's Going Out West.
Coming in at number 25 here on our countdown, that was Tom Waits from the album Bone Machine. That was, of course, Going Out West. As you could tell by the guitar tone on that record, would lend itself very well to a band who figured it out a few years ago. Hey, that sounds like our guitar tone. We should cover that. Yes, Queens of the Stone Age has a cover of that song out, so go seek that out. Album number 24 here has the distinction of being one of the first ever albums that I owned on compact disc. It was either the first one or the third one, I'm not sure. Just sure sign that we passed that gotta own it mark on the last episode. But, yes, this band's 16th full-length album came out sometime in June, late June of 1992, produced by Reinhold Mack. There's a name for you. Actually, go look up that guy. That guy has done a lot of killer records. He's mostly known for doing old Deep Purple records and ELO classics and some Latter-day Queen stuff. That guy definitely has had a killer producing and engineering career. And he produced this one right here. A fan favorite, if I do say so. Dehumanizer by Black Sabbath. I think it's definitely one of those albums that was not appreciated hardly at all when it was out. I mean, hardcore fans knew, hey, Dio's back. This is great. And it it definitely got a little bit extra push based on that. But I don't think the album sold that well, especially around America. Unfortunately, I'd start seeing it like in the cutout bins shortly after it was out. But doesn't mean it's not a great album, because it totally is. I, I think so, at least. Some people think it's a little, like, doom and gloom and dirgy and dark and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, it's a Black Sabbath record. What do you want here? But really cool hearing Dio back in Sabbath. And it seemed like everything was right in the world. Ozzy was doing better. Sabbath seems to be on maybe a little bit of a comeback here. And... Like I said, I don't know why the record didn't sell that great. I'm going to blame it on the label. I don't know about IRS selling a whole lot of records for anybody, especially around this time in the early 90s. So I'm going to blame it on them. Let's do that. That's a lot of fun to blame it on the label. Makes sense. And unfortunately, I didn't get to see him on this tour, but I did see him later on during the third Dio reunion with Black Sabbath, basically is Heaven and Hell. And I got to hear uh, quite a few songs off of this record live. And they definitely held up with all the other stuff that was played that night. And I think most people would agree with that statement. So, yeah, go look up the live album from that tour and, and you'll see. But, yeah, they even opened up most of their shows with After All off of this record, which I was definitely tempted to go with that one for sure. And, man, I was thinking, man, I should put TV Crimes on here because that's the song that hooked me to buy the record. Uh, but I'll go with this one, actually, because this song actually it was also on the Wayne's World soundtrack, so a lot of you probably know what I'm going to play right now. But on The Humanizer, it's actually a little bit tougher and a little bit rougher. It's, it's a different version than the one that appears on Wayne's World. Of course, they put out the Wayne's World version as a bonus track on the CD, so they covered both bases with it. But 
Dio's a little bit angrier in his vocal delivery on this one. So yeah, I, I really do dig it. In case you've never heard this version, I would like to play it for you right now to represent Dehumanizer. This is Black Sabbath with the late, great Ronnie James Dio on lead vocals with Time Machine.
Number 24 right there on the countdown for the top albums of 1992. That was Black Sabbath and the Dehumanizer record. And, of course, that was Time Machine. That album has aged especially well, in my opinion. I know I already said that, but I'd like to reiterate it. We move over here to another album that was very underappreciated in 1992. And another one I think that has aged pretty well. And it has some of my favorite songs ever by this band, for, for real. And I will play one of those here in a second. Uh, but yes, on September 1st, 1992, yet another legendary band, one of the all-time great bands, the Ramones, put out their 12th album, Mondo Bizarro. This album was produced by the great Ed Stasium. That guy knows how to make a good-sounding record, let me tell you. Go look up Ed Stasium and look at all the cool stuff that he's put out. Just great you know, there's a couple of weak links on this record, but it's got a couple of my all-time favorite Ramon songs. It really puts it over the top and really helped it out in the rankings right here. Interesting note about this record for sure would have to be the fact this is C.J. Ramon's first album as a Ramon. Indeed, he had been fired and or quit, depending on who you ask. <laughs> it's, you, if you ever watch like the End of the Century documentary about the Ramones, you see that Johnny has always been a very hard-nosed and business-oriented guy, very bottom-line type of guy. And even a guy like Johnny, who did not get along with Dee Dee Ramone, especially towards the end from what I can tell. I mean, nobody got along with anybody in that band. But... I think everybody in the band, even Johnny, recognized, man, Dee Dee is a hell of a songwriter. He's definitely the best songwriter in the band. So maybe we should still take song submissions by him. Why not? Uh, so Dee Dee has co-writes on, I believe, about three songs on here, uh, which another one of the great all-time Ramon songs, Poison Heart, he wrote that one with Daniel Ray, actually. Another guy with a great ear. And he wrote the song I'm going to play for you right now, another Daniel Ray, Dee Dee Ramon collaboration. This is one of my all-time favorite songs. I played it a few years ago on the show. If I have it right, it was on the self-motivation episode. And this is definitely a self-motivator. Love this song. It's fucking perfect. It's catchy. It rocks. It's everything. It's a freaking Ramon song. So let's be having it. This is Strength to Endure. <laughs>
All right, yeah. C.J. Ramon always had a great voice, really cool singing voice, and it's neat to hear him sing a song that was written by Dee Dee, the guy that he effectively replaced in the band. Although, like I said, Dee Dee kept writing for the band all the way up till the end. Yes, that was Strength to Endure from Mondo Bizarro. Fun record right there. We move over here to another fun record, an album that I've been a long champion of, a defender, if you will. And you say defender when it concerns stuff that's not very popular. But this is an album, interestingly enough, I don't know if I could say this about any other album on this countdown. I rebought this record twice this year. Once on CD in a remastered capacity on a studio album's box set, which uh, that set in question is called Babylon, The Electra Years, and it's a CD box set by Faster Pussycat. Yes, we're going to talk specifically about Whipped, which came out on August 4th of 1992, produced by John Jansen. Uh, The second purchase in question was, finally, finally, there was a vinyl version of of this album put out. It had never come out before in vinyl. Finally came out this year. And if you're any kind of fan of this band, then you definitely probably need to get this on vinyl because I don't see them really pressing it again after this go around because I don't think the album sold all that well. I don't think there's any kind of gold certification for it. So I'll guess 250,000 copies. Let's go with that. that. That's always a safe number for me to go with. But yeah, I like Whipped. Some people bag on the comedy songs on this, like Loose Booty and Big Dictionary, but I, I fucking love those songs. I think they're super fun. And, you know, you got all the way onto the other side of the spectrum with the really super deep stuff, like uh, Only Way Out, which deals in child abuse and molestation. And then you got Mr. Love Dog, which is a tribute to the late great Andrew Wood. So there's a little bit of everything on this album for a band that's not supposed to be very multi-layered like a Faster Pussycat, but just kind of shows off why I think they're one of the better bands of their genre. I'm a fan. I, I bought these two things. I went and saw them earlier this year. I talked about this on the show already. They're great. I'll go see them every time from now on for the rest of their career once again. And yeah, when I saw them this last time, they even opened up with Jack the Bastard off of Whipped, which I thought was real random, but I enjoyed hearing it. Weirdly enough, they didn't play anything else off this record. I'm surprised they didn't play Nonstop to Nowhere, which is definitely the only song you may have heard from this if you didn't buy it. So there's a lot of different directions I could have gone in to choose a song to represent this particular album. And I was just going to kind of go with, oh, let's see what I played before this and what's coming up after it if there is. And just kind of see what flows well. And But I'm going to go with this one, actually. This is a last-minute pick for me. But since it's the holiday season, I do get decently reflective around the holidays. And it's the end of the year. So I'll dedicate this one to all my true friends, the family I give a shit about, and, of course, everybody out there that can hear my voice. You are a friend of mine for sure. So this one goes out to all of you. The song is called simply Friends. Like crawling under a rug, get the bell on my. Bed. 
Friends right there by Faster Pussycat from the album Whipped, representing the number 22 record of 1992, according to me. And this entry should definitely prove, if you know anything about me, then the fact that this person comes in at number 21 will prove to you that I'm not screwing around when it comes to making lists like this. Yes, there is some nostalgia involved, but also the numbers do dictate how high the album goes. This album right here, coming in at number 21, and the last entry of this particular episode is by Prince and the New Power Generation. This was his 14th album right here, his second officially with the New Power Generation. The album is officially called Love Symbol when you go look it up. But at the time, they were just using that symbol that Prince would become known as for uh, the rest of the decade, pretty much, until the year 2000. So yeah, Love Symbol right here. Uh, Self-produced, of course. Do I have to say it? Produced, arranged, performed, composed by Prince. Actually, there's a lot of credits to the rest of the band on here. And to his credit, when he started New Power Generation, he had the band playing on the record, not just him, even though he probably still played 90% on the record. But it's kind of interesting and cool to see other people's names on these Prince albums. And here's something to note I was definitely going to mention about this record. If you've heard it, or if you haven't, Go back and listen to it. There's a handful of skits on there where a woman reporter keeps calling up to interview Prince and he's always hanging up on her. Well, if you ever listened to that and was wondering, man, that voice sounds familiar, who is that? It's actually Kirstie Alley. And that's definitely of note because we did recently lose her. She recently passed away, unfortunately. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. Just It was on the brain, it came to mind. But I, I do like this Love Symbol album quite a bit. I think it's a lot better. And if you listen to the 1991 countdown, you will know this to be true. I like this album a lot better than Diamonds and Pearls. I think it's way stronger. It's got some kick-ass stuff on there. Of course, the opener, My Name is Prince, is super fun. I almost put on I Want to Melt With You on here. That song is hot. That's a good one. Damn You is awesome. I played Three Chains of Gold on my Prince tribute show, and that's one of my favorite Prince songs. So there is some absolute stuff of quality on here. Of course, a Seven. Seven was a pretty big hit, actually. Seven was probably his last real big hit besides Most Beautiful Girl in the World. So it was his last big hit on a proper album. But I got to go with this one right here. Of course, probably going for the controversy angle here. And I remember much like what Madonna did before, he put out his own home video with just this video on it because it couldn't be played on any channel. It's probably being played on the box, but who the hell had the box? Anyway, remember the box? Okay, <laughs> let's talk about the box later. Oh, I can make a lot of double entendre jokes here, but let's just get into this song right here. Prince will do it for us. He'll get into a lot of things on this song. So here is Prince and the new power generation. Save my ass right here and closing off the show with Sexy Motherfucker. There! We're all alone in the villa on the Riviera Got some friends on the south side in case you cared Out of all of your friends I won't be the closest That's why I tell you things so you be the mostest When it comes to life to be this man's wife You got to be well educated on the subject of fights I mean the prevention of In other words it's Ariel meaning of this thing called love Are you up on this? If so then you can get up on a hug and a kiss Come here baby Yeah 
can't really go anywhere after that. So yes, that was Sexy Motherfucker by Prince and the New Power Generation. I know on the CD it says Sexy MF, but Prince would want me to say motherfucker, okay? Even post-religious rebirth Prince would want me to say motherfucker talking about this song. Uh, I mean, I sound very unhip when I say it, but yes, that song rolls. That is the best James Brown song that James Brown never wrote. That is an absolute fact of music history right there. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you're enjoying the entire countdown. As you could tell, we only have two more episodes to go. We're going to get into a super duper quality top 20 albums of 1992. There will be some surprises in there. There might be a couple of records you don't even recognize. And hell, I didn't recognize them before I got into this countdown. So stay tuned. Also, some big favorites coming. we got some great toy commercials, I promise. It is Christmas, after all. So, until then, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs, and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard, and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.
Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.